I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say SP's here this week. I am, and I am pleased to hear you call me SP versus Stargate Pioneer, which, you know, SP is the name that I go by. So thank you very much. It is a great week. This has been a really fun week, and I can't wait to talk about what's happened and what's coming up. And this is just going to be a great show. Uh, Mr. Pioneer, before we get started, let's address the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that Chris Farrell's not here this week, and he's not here this week because, quote, I hate you, Stephen, end quote. Uh, that's why he's not here this week, but maybe next week he'll return. Maybe. Those were pretty much his direct words. He said he couldn't take it anymore, and he needed his alone time, so we gave it to him for today. You know, co-hosts can be fickle sometimes so we just let them go be fickle and hopefully they'll come back because this is fun for us this is a hobby but we do like chris talking about things like his favorite gaming console the playstation 5 yeah for sure uh you know what else is fun uh taking shots of people when they're sick and not able to podcast not that that's related not that that's related at all <laughs> we'll see if he actually <laughs> listens to this before we <laughs> have him on again next week Hey, good news for you. Before we get into the uh, news, uh, this is kind of actually news. That one more thing event happened last week that we were talking a little bit about. And you got your Apple TV. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. We'll talk about Apple TV later on in the show. But there was no Apple TV sixth generation announcement in here. And I, I almost think I know why now, but we'll leave that one for later. Well, actually, just a couple of minutes from now. So what happened at the One More Thing announcement on Tuesday, November 10th, 2020, was they announced three new computers that are all powered by Apple's new M1 chip. There was the new MacBook Air, the new 13-inch MacBook Pro, and a new Mac Mini. Now, the new Mac Mini has two Thunderbolt USA USB for ports, one HDMI 2.0 port, two USB-A ports, and a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, as well as an Ethernet port in. It does have Wi-Fi. It does have Bluetooth 5.0. It has incredible Geekbench scores, some of the best scores for a single core of uh, any processor that Mac has used in the past, and it almost to a T outdoes the Windows laptops that are out there in the same class. Now, I do have a question, though. I have a retired, it's still sitting right next to the entertainment center, but I have a retired old Windows PC box. It has been upgraded to uh, the current Windows, but it is such a dog. It's a Pentium 4, if I remember correctly. It's on its last legs, and it doesn't really... It's not capable of giving me the streams that I want, so I want to upgrade it and I want to condense my entertainment center. So I am seriously thinking about getting one of these new Mac minis and throwing it in there. And my question to our audience 
is what do you think about that? What do you think about replacing a very old aging? I mean, it's it's done for anyway, no matter what old PC with this new Mac mini. Uh, one consideration is it's HDMI 2.0 only. It's not 3.0. It does support up to 6K resolution. My TV right now is 65 inch 4K resolution TV. So I want to know what your opinion is on this. Now, the bottom line is 699. I would increase that to 16 gigabytes of RAM. That's an extra $200. I would also increase the storage from 256 to 512 gigabytes, which is an additional $200. So basically I'm looking at about $1,200, which is a lot for a little box to sit in my entertainment center. So that's my question to everybody. What do you think about getting one of those for the entertainment center? How long do you think it would last? Would it last long enough? And do you think it would replace an Apple TV sixth generation for me? It's a good question. And I look forward to hearing what everybody has to say about that. For me, uh, I personally think it's overkill for just displaying my picture on your, your TV. I know that's the sole purpose of it, but that's just my decision is there are my thoughts on it. More often than not, YouTube would be used to stream your face on my TV. Yeah. Yes, it's true. And I understand that you also usually fall asleep on the couch because you like to fall asleep looking at me. It's because I'm old. <laughs> Please get in touch with us through any of the ways, including over at our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. We'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And if you don't like what that idea is that he has, give him a suggestion on some of the other things that he might want to look into instead that would be great check that out at gunnageek.com slash discord or if you want you can tweet him he's at stargate pioneer on the twitter sphere should we go and move into the news i think so we got a lot to go through Is a lot of news today. Uh, let's start off with one of the things that kind of made me scratch my head earlier this week. It's all about Google Photos. This is a quick hit that we're going to touch on. Google Photos has announced that they will be ending the uh, free service that they have on Google Photos. As Google Photos currently stands, there's two different options that you can get. You can either have it so that uh, you are uploading at full quality or you can have it so that you're uploading at a compressed quality. They call that a, uh, quote, high quality. It's not uh, unmodified, it's not original, but it is high quality. And as it currently stands, you get unlimited high quality upload, basically a compressed version. But this past week on November 11th, they did send out an email announcing that starting on June 1st, 2021, all new photos and videos backed up in high quality will count towards the free 15 gigabytes of storage. So essentially the way this is going to work is that they're going to switch over to the model that is on the uncompressed, which is the fact that there is, it, it eats up your Google Drive or your Google One, whichever storage name you want to use, out of that allocation. Like I personally upload everything in full quality. So this is a non-issue for me because I'm already paying for that because my Google Photos is already coming out of my my drive amount. But if you are someone who is using this as a free upload service as of June 1st, 2021, you will now have to go and pay for additional storage if you want to keep doing that if it goes above 15 gigs. It's 
something that I think will be interesting to see how that all works out, how that all shakes down. Um, there was a poll that I saw on Android Authority, and they did a, a little poll to see whether people will pay, the people who are taking the poll would pay for Google Photos. And the majority of people at 48% said, no, they'll look for free alternatives. And there are, there are free alternatives with things like Amazon Photos and things like that. So uh, how long those alternatives will last? That's a whole other question. I personally like Google Photos. It works really well with my Google infrastructure that I've got with my my Android devices and things like that. But I think that, yeah, this will probably pull a lot of people away from that. I can see that. I'm not surprised by this at all. The fact that Google went to a paid structure everywhere else seems to be going that way. I actually had to upgrade my iCloud storage to a paid tier before I got my new iPhone in order to make sure I didn't lose any data along the way. Probably need to do a little bit better job of curating that data, but I still like that data. It's all the data that I've had since my iPhone 4S in 2011. So I'd, I'd like to keep a lot of the photos and the videos and that sort of thing. So I will continue to use iCloud. Now, if I was doing a Android device, I would probably use Google and I would pay for Google. Matter of fact, I do pay for Google storage because of all the podcast stuff that's on there, just not as much as I would pay for the Google Photos. So this was just a matter of time before it happened and it just happen now. So I'm okay with it. And I think it works great for the people that use it. Uh, I, again, I'm a big fan of the Google Photos layout. I think it works really well. And I really like their um, automatic, uh, whatever you call it, made, made it tagging or whatever, where I, I put in Celica and it shows me a picture of my Celica that I once had when I was young. Like, you know, it's, it's amazing how, how the sort of things that identifies. Like I put in fridge and it pulls up a bunch of photos that had a fridge in it. So it's quite quite amazing and i like that aspect of it that would be awesome because there's been a ton of times where i've been looking through my old photos and i've had you know the, it's the image uh naming structure on the photo right yeah. and i'm looking for a picture of my old truck that i used to have in the 90s and I'll, I'll throw in uh you know truck or 1999 or you know something like that to get the the, the picture of the truck coming up and it just doesn't work on windows and it would be great to switch over to Google Photos and get that. So it might entice me to go over. We'll see. All right. Well, let's go on to the next news point here, which is from Stargate Pioneer. And I think you'll be shocked that it's space news. <laughs> I have a lot of quick space roundups this week. The first of which is we saw the SpaceX launch Crew-1 last night. Everybody in the Guinea Geek show, we were watching it and we were texting back and forth. We were all streaming it on YouTube. I don't know if everybody was watching on the SpaceX stream or the NASA stream, but we were all watching one of the streams or the other. It was great. Well, today there was a news story out on space.com by Robert Perlman that said that there was a reveal of what the zero G indicator was on stowaway. the SpaceX crew. What? The correct term is there was a stowaway. Okay. So there was a stowaway and it was Baby Yoda. Yep. So while this is not Baby Yoda, this is an actual Yoda, I wanted to bring actual Yoda out and show everybody my actual Yoda. And it's very creepy looking, isn't it? It is. But, you know, you could have made this right if you had just thought a little bit ahead because you have the Yoda aspect of Baby Yoda. If you would just put on a diaper and put a pacifier in your mouth, you would have had the baby and the Yoda, but you just fell apart. So way to go. Well, 
Well, yeah, I've, I have heard from my ex-wife that I'm quit the baby from time to time. <laughs> anyway, so what happened here is NASA and SpaceX successfully launched their first commercial crew operational flight, which was dubbed Crew-1, to the International Space Station last night. It will set to dock like an hour after we're done recording this episode. So Crew-1 consists of Commander Michael Hopkins, Pilot Victor Glover, and Mission Specialist Shannon Walker, and Soshi Nugurshi. And as a part of the flight, NASA has a long tradition, which dates back to the earliest NASA and Soviet crewed flights, of astronauts flying small dolls to signal when they enter orbit. The toys, which are generally tethered to a wall or other anchor, begin to float about the cabin when the launch phase of the flight ends, indicating that the crew is in zero-g. Crew 1 decided, based on their backup NASA astronaut Kel Lindgren's recommendation, who is a big Star Wars fan, to use a Baby Yoda doll, correctly named the child, by the way, it's not Baby Yoda, for the zero-G indicator on this flight. If you are interested, you can find that same small plushy toy at Target this holiday season for $12.99. No, you would have been able to if this didn't happen. And now they're sold out everywhere. You've checked already? I haven't. <laughs> no, this is great. Uh, really cool. I love whoever's idea this was and whatever minds were were put together to come up with this idea. Whoever was involved, you all deserve credit. Fantastic. Uh, the Child is one of the best things that we've gotten out of sci-fi in recent years. Just a phenomenal character. I don't care about this whole cancel baby Yoda thing that came from last week's episode. That's BS. It paid off in the story this week. Just mind your own self. It's a fictional story. Who the heck cares? Baby Yoda is fantastic. And kudos to everybody involved making that decision. Fantastic. Well, the decision went to crew one, but they needed a little inspiration from Kel, who I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before or not, but I spent four years living very close to Kel. So uh, it was an honor uh, knowing him and uh, back then, and uh, I may or may not have been in communication with him recently. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, very cool. And uh, Baby Yoda uh, is now in space. How cool is that? Yoda's <laughs> in space. <laughs> the next news point that I've got here is all about the Xbox. Let's continue the discussion that we had last week about consoles. As you may have heard, there are a little bit of delays slash troubles trying to get a hold of the current generation of Xbox. This is the Xbox Series series. And yes, I will always refer to it as the Xbox Series series because it is not just one. It's not just the Xbox Series X. No, there's the Xbox Series S, which makes it the Xbox Series series. And there is a problem getting a hold of these because there is short demand. This is really not surprising because there's usually a hard time getting a hold of any console that is new let alone a console in the current COVID climate. All sorts of technology delays have happened because of all of the problems that have come with COVID. This is apparently believed to continue until midway through 2021. Microsoft CFO Tim Stewart has said that they expect to have the Xbox Series X and Series S shortages to continue to through the first quarter of 2021. Quote, we'll have supply cranking over the next, what, four, five, six months. And that's when I expect to see really the demand profile start to be met, which will be really, really great. They really anticipate this in the April to June period. That's when it's looking like you might be able to walk into a store and buy an Xbox Series X or S reliably. I guess we'll see. 
I have to say that's not bad. I, I, you know, if they they actually are able to follow through with that in the current world with a very hot product like this, April to June, that that doesn't seem terrible. Like I was thinking, maybe next holiday season we would see people be able to actually get them. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the demand is. Right now, there's no real need for the new console because all the games can still be played on the old Xbox One consoles for now. So there's really no need to go up to it. I was talking like we were talking on the show last week. I was talking to a bunch of people at work that are fervent gamers and they all to a T, they all have extra income. They all have the available funds for this. They all said, nope, I'm not interested in trying to get it. It has already sold out everywhere. And when it becomes available, if I'm around, I will actually purchase it. But I'm not interested in in needing it right now. Uh, Eventually, everybody will. And I think what we talked about last week kind of fits the bill here is that I will get both of these eventually when they are available. I'm not going to go out of my way. Matter of fact, I might wait until the second generation is or the the refresh. What, what did Chris call it? The 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 version two. I think of he called the, it the half generation or something like that. Yeah, ha- half generation when it comes out and it's more available. I I'll be fine waiting for that because I'm uh, everything that I've got is working fine right now. I think the half generation. You bring up a really good point. Under usual circumstances, that seems really good. But the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series series are really big for a console. They're like, they're not a great profile, objectively, I think, compared to some of them. When we were referring last week, I was editing the show, I was listening back to us refer to the the PlayStation 3 that I owned. And I said that I had the big fat PlayStation 3, which Mm -hmm. was the first one, which is small compared to some of the like these current consoles. Mm -hmm. And so... That was such a big thing when they went to that half generation. Hopefully, we'll see a huge reduction in size on these half generations. Because again, I think that both of these are really odd form factors and are going to be really hard for some people to place them in their living room if they don't, if it's just a living room and they don't have a dedicated entertainment rack that is open. Like, I think it's, it's, they're both very odd designs. I'll be honest, in the last week, I was looking at both my main entertainment centers, the one in the living room, the basement, and the one in the great room upstairs, as to how I'm going to reconfigure them to have one or the other in. I think I know how I'm going to do it in the basement. I'm just going to take out an old CD player that I have in there, and it's going to fit the PS5 just fine up here. I'm going to have to do some major rework of how I have my entertainment center set up in order to fit that box in it. I've thought about leaving it out, which I still might. I might put it where that big giant PC is outside. It'll help with the airflow around it. It's just not going to look neat and tidy. And, you know, I'm headed into my grandfather stage soon, and I would like to have my stuff not fooled around with little babies running around the the floor. So I got to start thinking about baby proof in the house again. Oh, I'm so glad that you're getting close to that and I'm past that now. That's awesome because I remember we were having conversations not long ago about all the troubles I had to have putting a lock on this door, locking myself out an hour before we did a podcast. <laughs> I, I will say I'm, I'm pretty impressed at the ingenuity of your kids wanting to get in to play with dad's toys to podcast. Uh, Well, I guess we'll see what happens with this. I think for me... Assuming that there is a reason for me to buy these, like mainly for the kids, because ultimately I've had two series where I've I've bought a console, at least two series, and had great ambitions to being a console gamer and not had it happen. So the reality is 
I'm not a console gamer. Like that's just that's just me. I, I have other things I'd rather do than console game when I, when I have spare time. So I think it'll ultimately come down to the decision being, does this fit for my kids? And if that is the case, I think I'll probably wait until there's wide availability on the Xbox All Access. It just I'd rather do the payment plan. It makes it easier to swallow. Um, and it bundles with a service that I'm already paying for. So I, I think that's probably what I, I will hold out for is, is that availability if we decide to do it. We might not. Like you said, uh, we'll see what demands there. And we'll see what the games are requiring because there might be a game that your kids want to play that just isn't supported as well on the Xbox One anymore. You never know. For sure. All right, let's go on to the next news point here, which I'm just going to say, told you, it's just everything is getting delayed. That's right. And we've talked about this before, but there was an article in space.com written by Tariq Malik on 11th of November, 2020. That's last Wednesday. And the title was NASA says Boeing's next Starliner test flight won't launch until 2021. So Boeing's next test flight of its CST-100 Starliner commercial crew capsule for NASA won't launch until early 2021 due to ongoing software checks, according to Steve Stick, which is NASA's commercial crew program manager at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Three astronauts are currently training to launch on Boeing's first crewed Starliner test flight. The crew includes Mike Finke, Nicole Mann, and Barry Butch Wilmore. So we won't see Starliner actually take humans up into space until 2021. It says early 2021, which honestly could be anywhere up to June 30th, 2021. We'll see when this actually happens. While this does continue to be delayed, and it seems like we've had a couple updates like this, uh, let's just say that the good news is it should probably still launch before the James Webb telescope. It might... We'll see. It, it would be cutting it close at that point. But the James Webb telescope's never going up and bit it now. It's done. Why is it? I know <laughs> the only reason it would be done would be because of the scarcity of large launch vehicles, but it's not even going on a U.S. rocket. It's going on the Orane 5. It's just it's constantly delayed. That's all. Is it a James Webb? It's like you've been talking about that since episode one of this show. I'm pretty sure it is after the crude stuff here. It is priority number one for NASA. That would be good. I actually heard, by the way, side note, I heard someone on the radio start to talk about the James Webb. Like, I don't know, it was a month ago. And uh, and they were talking about how essentially all the things you've talked about on here about how the Hubble is so out of date and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, finally, somebody else has noticed that on 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 the media. I've been rewatching Cosmos, a space time odyssey on Amazon Prime, and it was made in 2014. And a large majority of the episodes talk about sensing into the universe. And it basically says, states the need in 2014 of James Webb without identifying James Webb. It's just the type of imaging that it's going to do in the lower infrared wavelengths is going to be far superior to the Hubble. It doesn't say Webb is going to be better than the Hubble, but it does say that the type of sensing done in the infrared is better than anything that you could get in the visual area now visual telescopes still have a place but if you can get in that infrared you can do far more science than you can with the visual wavelength so james webb is going to be important when it actually gets up there and assuming it works which is a big assumption it will uh, give us astounding science within six months of it being in orbit well look forward to 
finding out when this actual back to the point at hand, uh, when the actual Starliner next test happens, because I think the more private entities that are doing this, the better it is. Indeed. Moving on to the next news point here. It's more space stuff. SP, you know that there's three things that I really, really love about space. Number one is Baby Yoda in space. Number two is space conspiracy theories. Hashtag flat earth. Hashtag moon landing never happened. Hashtag suncast is responsible for the rover not responding. And the third thing that I like is alien probes. And you're going to tell me a little bit about probes, right? I am. It's not an SP space symposium this week, but we are going to give a couple of updates on what's going on in space, specifically Mars. So the UAE or the United Arab Emirates, they launched a Martian probe this past year. I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast this year. There was three probes that were launched. The Chinese launched a probe. We launched a probe. The Europeans were going to launch a probe, but didn't. And the UAE launched a probe. It's going to get to Mars on February 9th. Now, the mission is called Hope from the UAE. It's one of the three missions that I was talking about. The UAE is using the mission as a spur to encourage science innovation among research and educators in their country and will mark the 50th entity or it will mark the fifth entity or country to successfully send a mission to Mars. It will also mark the 50th anniversary of the UAE as a country. The spacecraft is expected to remain in orbit and gathering data for at least a full Martian year, which is 687 Earth days. I'm not sure how many days that is in Canadian, but it is 686 Earth days. And that's what we use in the United States of America as Earth days. Now, there is another update that I want to give for SpaceX's Starship SN8 prototype, by the way. It had fired its test engines for the third time last week, but it encountered a problem. In a Space.com article by Mike Wall, the SpaceX Starship developmental prototype SN8, which is the latest prototype in the series, the vehicle encountered an issue following its first rocket engine test firing on Thursday night, November 12, 2020. The cause of the issue is not yet known at this time. However, a relief burst disc, that's what it's called, quote, burst disc, unquote, functioned properly to relieve the pressure in the fuel tank and saved the prototype SN8 for future tests. So while it was a setback, at least Elon Musk didn't blow this one up this time. They're just going to start referring to blowing things up as pulling an Elon. That's what it's going to be. I've been known to blow a thing or two up in my past. And <laughs> it might have been a rocket or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Developmental rocket. Yeah, that's me and explosions right there. Let me guess. You're the one that bombed Mars. No, I have not been responsible for that, but I have been responsible for a couple of test rockets augering in, as we called it, into the Earth. All right, well, moving on to the next news point here. Hey, SP, I got some good news for you. Uh, I know you've been waiting for a long time for this. The HBO Max app is finally coming to the Fire TV. I know that you've been a loyal HBO Max slash whatever other app they want to call it user for a very long time. I know that that's the only content that you watch is HBO content. And I know that you also only use Fire TV. So I'm pleased to tell you that six months after the HBO Max launch, they have announced that the Fire TV will be getting the app 
as of Tuesday, November 17th. This is essentially been because of the fact that there was a dispute about how HBO users would get HBO through the Fire TV. Apparently, the Prime TV um, subscribers did have access through the the Prime Video offers, I, offerings, I should say, where you can subscribe to extra extra channels through the Prime Video. There was an offer in there for uh, subscribing to HBO, and I guess that was the dispute: was that HBO wanted those subscribers to now access through the HBO Max app, but Fire TV, like through Amazon, they were like, no, we want to keep that in Prime TV. So there was a dispute about how that was all going to happen. And apparently this has been settled, aka HBO One, because now what will happen is uh, Prime subscribers will be able to use their Amazon uh, credentials to authenticate themselves through the HBO Max app. So now instead of going into Prime Video on their Fire TV, if they're subscribing through Prime TV, there or whatever you call it, they'll be able to just go into HBO Max and use their credentials to log, log in there. Really weird, weird dispute, but it's finally there. And while I know you don't actually use uh, Fire TV for this, nor do you subscribe to HBO, uh, I, do you subscribe to HBO? Well, it's part of my cable package, which I okay. still have. But you don't subscribe as an independent app? No. No. I still think this is worthwhile news because this is one of those things that I, I firmly believe that these media companies need to make their apps available on all platforms because we don't want to have one device for one thing, one for another, or, or you know, a third be, because it does both. Of them. Like, we want, we want to make sure that we have one device that covers all these different subscription services because the reality is we don't like having all these subscription services right now. And and if you're not on my device, maybe it'll make me not subscribe. I've heard a couple cool things about Apple, a couple series on Apple TV Plus. Don't have a device that supports. I'm not going to check them out right now, even for a month. Not happening. I have a couple of devices that are Fire TV. I have a original Fire TV stick and I have a 4K Fire TV stick. So I could conceivably use this, but most of my other streaming devices are Roku's, which is not supported here, which kind of hurts a little bit. I don't know if you heard the news in the last week or not, but there's a potential that Wonder Woman is going to be on HBO Max. And if that's the case, I'm going to want a capability of actually streaming because I do want to see that movie. And I don't want to go into a movie theater right now, uh, even to hold your hand, Stephen. It's just not going to happen right now until the current pandemic is very much subsided. So we'll see about that. And I can't wait until HBO is on Roku because that would simplify things for me. Hopefully it's before Wonder Woman comes out, but if not, then I still have that 4K uh, Fire Stick that I'd be able to do this with. You mentioned Roku. I have concerns about Roku's future with them not getting HBO here yet, and, and Amazon beating them to it. I I don't know what the dispute is there, but Roku was the go-to. But I feel like there's a few instances recently where they're falling behind, and I don't think that that bodes well for Roku. I've heard several stories very concerned about Roku's financial future. So we'll just see where that goes for now. If I have to switch into another device, eventually I will. I do have backup devices. I just didn't want to go wholly 
into one device with Roku. That's why I do have a Fire TV stick. That's why I do have an, a third generation Apple TV and I've wanted a sixth generation Apple TV. I also have a heck of a lot of Xboxes and Playstations in the house that I could swap to as long as the app is supported there. So there are options here. This seems like a good spot for me to insert an impromptu rant about the Google Chromecast with Google TV, the, the newest version. I finally got mm. it set up. Finally got it set up. It doesn't have a bloody browser built into it. How ridiculous is that? There's not even one, like a basic version of Chrome in there. And there's <laughs> not one that you can get from the store. You have to sideload it. And it doesn't work well compared to sideloading it on the Fire TV. So... Can you load apps though? You can well, you can download apps through the store and then yeah. you can sideload apps. And I, I and you have to sideload it because there's none that's properly in the store. And, and I you need a browser to to side side yeah. You need a browser to sideload <laughs> no, it. No, you can sideload that using an app that's in the store. So okay. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I was really annoyed. Uh it's a problem for me because that's the security camera that I use. When I'm when I'm viewing it is a local web page, and so I thought I would be able to just open up a browser like I do on my Fire TV. So that this could be a serious problem for me um, as far as my use case goes. I haven't even tried to use browsers on streaming boxes. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to get a Mac Mini because there's like Safari that's yeah. right on there and Chrome stuff like that. So. I, this is foreign, a foreign concept to me just because I don't use it. It's not like I didn't know about it. I just don't use it. I only use it for my security cameras. Like I said, I open up a web page that's local uh, on okay. the network and I then it opens that. up my cameras. That's, that's the only way I use it. But yeah, kind of annoying. I'll have to, I don't know. I'll, I'll look at some other apps because that's the only use. And, and if I like the Google TV better, I'll, I'll do that over the Fire TV. But yeah, it's remarkably similar to the Fire TV, but the only big win that Google TV already has is I'm not getting stupid Amazon ads. Ads. I hate how sometimes the Fire TV will display an, a big ad for the latest Amazon whatever, or yeah, sometimes right it's on the, top. Yeah, yeah, or or sometimes it's a half bar that's like Prime Video ads. So it's it's essentially a convert like a, a genuine ad for a tv now the only reason it's not like just a, a generic ad is because of the fact that it's advertising something that is available through those prime channels so it's still part of their service but it's i don't know it's i find that annoying and it comes up more and more lately on fire tv so maybe i'll find a solution for my cameras and switch to google it's been coming up on the prime app too on roku because i've been that's how we've been watching cosmos space time odyssey is through my Roku devices and the, those big apps are just right there on the top. And I have to scroll a little bit to get to my most recently watched series, which in this case is Cosmos Space Time Odyssey. It's just very annoying. I agree. All right. What else do you have in space news? Because I know it's been a very exciting week in space. We got a couple of actually space newses, and then I've got another space related news, but it's not actual space news. So let's go over the two that are actually space news right now. Mars has a probe to NASA has a probe to Mars and it's going to land in less than 100 days. Now, the NASA Perseverance rover is scheduled to touch down in less than 100 days on February 18th, 2021. This is nine days after the UAE lander. The probe reached the 100 day to landing point on November 10th, 2020. Assuming all goes well, Perseverance will employ the landing strategy pioneered by its predecessor, the Curiosity rover. 
A rocket-powered sky crane will lower Perseverance to Jezero's floor, which is the crater that it's landing on, on cables, then fly off to a crash land in a safe distance away. So that is the same process of how Curiosity actually landed on Mars, and they're going to use it with Perseverance, which is the same size of rover, actually. It's just the next generation up. It's like Curiosity version 2.0, and they're landing the same way. And don't forget, it's got the Ingenuity uh, drone that you can't fly, Steve. Yeah, no, I'm going to fly that, and only if they don't bomb Mars, because pretty sure that these are both going up in smoke when they bomb Mars. That would be really tough to handle on this one, because... Everybody loves that rover already, and it's not even there. And talking about the rover, one thing that it's going to do is grab a Martian sample. And the thing is that there's no mission yet to return the Mars sample. And NASA created an independent review board earlier this year in August to assess their future planned mission for a Martian sample return. And while unanimously supporting the proposed return mission, and they recommended that the team proceed full steam ahead. But the board found that, quote, since the current development schedule necessary to achieve the 2026 launch was judged by the IRB to not be compatible with the recent NASA experience, we believe NASA should replan the program for launches in 2027 and 2028. Ouch. Ouch. I think that's smart. Uh, we've seen other things delayed because of current situations and whatnot. And so I think that it makes sense that they they slide those dates. Um, now, here's the question for, for you. Like, how feasible is the technology that we have right now to send something from Mars? Like, how are we getting that home? Like, do we do we even have like a, a concrete concept of how to do that? Yeah, it's called you put a rocket on there that can take back off and get into Martian orbit and then put yourself in a Pullman transfer orbit back to Earth. Yeah, we know how to do it. It's just the problem of doing it. My concern would be if you take the sample on Mars with Curiosity, let's just say, and Curiosity malfunctions between now and the time that you can get that sample return mission there, you have to be able to extract that sample from wherever it's being stored and if the vehicle is not responding anymore can you do it yeah i don't know if it needs power or not that would be my concern so to be clear we're bombing mars we've bombed mars and we're going to set fire to mars because you're saying a rocket's involved i think you're a little bit jealous in canada that you can't bomb mars yourself so you're just portraying that on to me it's it's like not being you know you're you live next to the the kid next door whose parents are firework or okay let's let's tell the truth whose dad is the fireworks nut and the dad goes and buys ten thousand dollars worth of canada day in your case fireworks and so you're jealous that you can't set off these fireworks because the kid next door is setting off all the fireworks. That's you. You want to be the one to set off fireworks on Mars and you want to bomb Mars. No, I think it's more like you, you have a neighbor, like you just said, who's setting off all the fireworks. But now that neighbor has stopped buying fireworks for many, many years and instead is paying his other neighbor to set off fireworks on his behalf. That's what's happening with the space program right now. Is again, again, 
the gov- America government does not does not own any of this equipment. They are they are paying a third party. No, they they own the landers. That's all the Mars I'm stuff. Talking, is I'm NASA talking. I'm, we're off the landers. We're back. We're back to you guys going up to the space station. We're we're back. We're off of that now. Okay. Well, <laughs> Orion is a NASA based capsule. We're, I mean, we're there, talking space, SpaceX here. SpaceX. Okay. Well, that's what we got right now. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> pew, pew, shots fired. All right. At least we're back up. I don't see a Canadian cosmonaut up there. Whatever you guys call yourselves, <laughs> astronaut, I guess. All right. Let's go to the next news point here, which is about fake space. Space Force has been renewed, right, SB? That's right. Yeah. To be honest, I did not find this. Chris found this and I'm stalking for Chris on this podcast. Space Force was renewed for season two at Netflix. This was an exclusive article that was posted by the HollywoodReporter.com on November 13th, 2020, written by Leslie Goldberg. Netflix has renewed its Steve Carroll led comedy Space Force for a second season. Production on the Steve Carroll comedy will move to or from L.A to Vancouver in a bid, sources say, to reduce costs on the pricey series. As part of a larger creative revamp, Norm Hitchcock has also joined the series and will serve as co-showrunner alongside Greg Daniels. Hitchcock, a frequent collaborator with Daniels, counts Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Recreation, People of Earth, and King of the Hill among his credits. Filming is set to begin in 2021. All right. So first off, uh, yes, we know it's Steve Carell. Okay, I know. Before you send your mail to SP. Uh, secondly, no, send your hate mail to JS, JS at GettyGeek.com. Right. Fair enough. Uh, second thing with this, this is um, I'm I'm happy this was renewed because I, right now, whether or not I think Space Force season one was good hinges entirely on how they handle season two. Because I'm not a, I, I really dislike the last couple episodes of season one. I think it was very poorly handled. Um, so season two, like I've said that from the beginning, I, I really have issues with how season one that let, let off. Um, but overall, I enjoyed the season. But where it ended is is a big question mark for me. So we'll see what happens with season two. I have concerns over these creative changes. I think that that might be an indication that. Not only are they going to have a lot smaller scope of what you see on screen because they're trying to reduce budgets, but the fact that we have another um, a creative shift in here as well, I think, is also probably a tonal change. So I think we'll we'll see what happens. This is not uncommon where all of a sudden a season two has a new showrunner attached and you see a a change in in tone for the show. I so I do have reservations, but we'll find out. I thought the series showed a lot of heart, but I share your concerns about how the series ended. I actually didn't mind the last couple of episodes. I did mind the cliffhanger at the end of season one, especially when I knew that season two had not been green lit yet. Right. I felt really pissed off, actually, yeah. when I got to the end. And recently I watched the Away series, which was recently canceled. It was starring uh, Hillary Swank and it got to the end. It wasn't a very good series. I don't recommend it, but it got to the end and at least they ended it at a point where I could be satisfied with the series at an ending point, Space Force did not end. At, it was definitely a cliffhanger. It was like, what? The, this is it? You, you not only had one cliffhanger, you had 
two major cliffhangers ongoing simultaneously. Yeah. And I just thought that was poor writing because you could have gotten it to a point where it ended, but yet you could have picked it up in season two. And I'm glad that Netflix gave it a go for season two. It's obvious that they needed to make some changes because of the reduced cost to move it to Vancouver. I think Vancouver is a great place to film this sort of thing, by the way, just because of all the the sci-fi that's filmed up there or Toronto. But if you're coming from LA, it's an easier jump to Vancouver than it is to Toronto. We've both recently watched a series which you, you could argue about the successfulness of it moving from LA to Vancouver, Supergirl. And uh, it, it, I think it was for the best for the show, but unfortunately it led to some bad things happening as well. And to be clear, Space Force, the TV show, um, did debut in May. So you might be saying, oh, well, they suffered the COVID problem, which we all saw in the series, in many series last year where they abruptly had to end. No, the production on this finished filming in January. So not the case at all. Mr. Pioneer, comma, Stargate, you recently decided that you were going to upgrade to a brand new Pixel 5. So go ahead and tell everybody about that upgrade. Actually, I wouldn't mind using a Pixel 5, maybe as a secondary phone somewhere along the line. But for right now, I decided to upgrade from my iPhone 8 Plus to a, and this joke for me, this is a personal joke for me, just because the case was labeled as it, to a new iPhone 2020 large. And I received it on Friday, November 13th, 2020, just a few days ago. Yeah, the, the, his case, he posted this, I forget where he posted it, it was Discord or something. It, it legitimately said I, iPhone large, right? But, iPhone 2020 but, large, yeah. yeah iPhone it, 2020 it's an, large. It's an OtterBox commuter case, by the way, that I'm using. I'm not using a MagSafe case, which we'll talk about later. But Hey, I if had, somebody refers to something that you've got as large, run with it. <laughs> I see some size jokes from you. That's great. So this is an iPhone 12 Pro Max, and I want to talk about the setup process here. I had ordered it through Verizon to be shipped to my home because I just didn't want to fool around with going to the store to pick it up. I ordered the iPhone 12 Pro Max with 512 gigabytes of memory, and I ordered it in Pacific Blue, which I thought this is the only color other than the space gray that I ever got. And then I went to look at my iPhone 6, which was gray. Go figure. Anyway, uh, the UPS required somebody to physically hand it to in lieu of a signature. Thanks, COVID. And it was a mitigation on COVID. Now, a lot of people that I've told that to are like, well, what's the I don't get it. They're still handing it to you. You're not signing for it, but you're still having contact. And I'm like, well, yeah, but at least I'm not handing the pen back to them or I'm not writing on their device with my hand or, or anything like that. So I can understand why they did that. But somebody physically had to be here just like a signature in order to receive it. I ordered it on November 6th, and this was the first day that it was available. I ordered it at eight o'clock in the morning, which Eastern time, which was when they became available. My order was complete by 806. So that's why I got it first day. I've heard that they ran into um, shortages, so I don't know if you ordered it later on in the day, if you were pushed back or not. I know that day, if I ordered an iPhone 12 Pro, not the Max, I would have had to wait till mid-December to get it. So anyway, I got it. 
and there was no vehicle tracking that they gave me through UPS. There was no, hey, you were 10 stops away or anything like that. So I had no idea when the thing was going to show. All I saw on the UPS tracking was that it was going to be delivered today. So I came home from work as soon as I could and I sat stewed for a while. Then I thought, well, I can't just sit around. So I went out to do some yard work. I was out raking leaves in my backyard. When I looked up, I saw the UPS truck on the front of the street. I dropped everything that I had right then and I sprinted to the, my front door to make sure that if somebody was receiving it, my daughter had uh, taken delivery from the UPS guy who was laughing up a storm because it wasn't the only stop that he was making that day for a new iPhone. This happens to me, my fourth iPhone since 2011, and I have gone three years between purchasing uh, each iPhone. So I've had each iPhone for three years. I started with the iPhone 4S, 64 gigabytes in 2011. I moved up to the 128 gigabyte iPhone 6 Plus in 2014. Then I moved to the iPhone 8 Plus in 2017. And then I have now the 512 gigabyte iPhone 12 Pro Max, definitely the most syllables in any of the iPhones that I have had. These are the four iPhones that I've had. I've actually had two Android phones. I had the original Droid. The, I don't know what it, it's not a Razor. It's the original Droid, the original Droid. And then my Samsung Note 3 along the way. Uh, the Note 3 was in conjunction with the 4S at the end of the life. The last year of the 4S was really sporty. My son ended up using this and then he gave it back to me when he was done. So I've had six phones in total, but I've had three iPhones three years apart until here. So I'm anticipating that I will keep this phone for another three years, especially since it's so god awfully expensive. Now, why I upgraded to the iPhone 12 Pro Max, it's got a better processor than the 8 Plus that I had. It has more RAM. It has a newer battery, so it'll last longer. It has more storage because I was maxed out at 256. It has 512. I'm going to have to do a better job of looking at that storage, especially if the video that I want to do for the YouTube channel is on there. It has a better camera on it, which includes night mode and a 2.5 times optical zoom, which I've used both. It's fantastic. I'm glad I upgraded for the camera alone. And I had to stick with iOS versus going with the Pixie 5 due to my sister and her ability to use FaceTime. For those that are new to the show, my sister is mentally handicapped. She's got an IQ of about 20 and it's a miracle she even knows how to use FaceTime. So I'm just glad she could call me. But in order to do FaceTime, I still need to be on iOS. So that's why I did that. What I really wanted to talk about here is the multi-day upgrade process that I went through once I received the phone. Now, day one, I received it about three in the afternoon. I think by the time I messaged Steve and Chris, I was about 3.26. I think that's what the uh, timestamp was on the message that I sent. So I got it about 20 minutes beforehand and I immediately started to set up the phone. Uh, my daughter asked me if she wanted to watch me unbox it, you know, with her, you know, tape me unboxing. I just said, no, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, I've seen a lot of cool unboxing videos out there for people that got demo phones, and I just didn't want to go ahead and go do that again. So once I got it out of the box and started to set it up, I decided to do the near field data transfer. Now I have 256 gigabytes of data. That near field transfer took four hours. Wow. That's, uh, that's a while for you to have neither phone to use. 
That's right. I had neither phone. I actually picked up my uh, old, uh, I think it was my daughter's old iPhone 6, which I had been using as a uh, fitness tracker on the treadmill. And I picked that up just so I would have a phone with me, but it was, you know, not very capable. I hadn't signed in on any of the apps or anything like that. So I was without a phone, which was problematic because of all my authentication apps were on the iPhone 8. So I couldn't use that in transfer mode. I couldn't use the new phone yet. Uh, and let's take this one step further because with 15 minutes left, the transfer failed. So I had to reset the phone. It was an automatic menu on the phone that it went through. I had to reset the phone and I went through the four hour transfer again. So I was really tired at the end of the night, but the transfer was eventually successful. So eight hours without your phone. Yes, eight hours. I was using my iPad mini four to communicate back and forth with you, actually, and with everybody else on Discord and, and Twitter and stuff. You know, it'd be really cool is if there was like a cloud service that you could just like have your stuff up there and then you wouldn't need to transfer it. That'd be kind of cool. That's what I, well, I hadn't turned that on yet. Yeah. <laughs> Since I increased my storage, I believe I have two terabytes of iCloud storage. Now, since I increased the storage, I just didn't say back up to the cloud and it still would have taken a while, but at least it would have had my other phone to use. So whatever, uh, it took a long time. And the authentication apps, this was my first time changing authentication apps from phone to phone. There are some programs that won't allow an authentication app in more than one place. It has to be on one location, which is a good thing and a bad thing, because if you ever lose your phone, it's a bad thing, right? I did have those backed up to the cloud, but I still, it, it took a long time. So when I went to bed on that Friday night, it must've been like 1 AM or something like that. It took me a while to get my authentication apps over because I, I really needed my authentication apps over. If you're out and about and you have the authentication app on your old phone, which has no cellular data on it anymore it's difficult to get the authentication app to work. So I just wanted the authentication apps to work on my iPhone. Finally got that done. It was a pain in the rear end, but I got that done. That was day one. And that's it. I transferred the phone. I could text. I could use the authentication apps for like Microsoft Teams and everything else for, for my uh, two-party uh, authentication. And yeah, that was it. So day two, I go in to in my podcast app, which is Overcast, and I try to listen to a podcast and I couldn't because none of that data had transferred. So I, I find that so annoying. It's the same thing with Android. Certain things transfer, some don't. And I was, I was disappointed. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was disappointed to hear you have the same experience because iOS is so bloody closed. I had expected you not to run into this issue. And it's annoying that's a problem on both platforms. They need to have a standard for how that data is transferred. That's so annoying, SP. So I hear you on that. So even if I would have had it backed up to the cloud, I don't think that 80 gigabyte. I have 80 gigabytes of podcast data. Yeah, I know. We, we can talk about that later. But I have 80 gigabytes of podcast data and it didn't transfer. So it had to re-download every single podcast episode that I had. So if I listened to your show, it would have downloaded all those episodes over again. So Steven, you might want to look at like the Guinea Geek stats and see if there was an uptick the Saturday. For I, all the shows. I will pretend that you never told me that. Because <laughs> you're like, woohoo, 
<laughs> exactly. Yes. Listening to everything, which actually, as podcasters ourselves, kind of explain some of the spikes we see. We don't really gain any new listeners. It's somebody transferred their phone and their data all went over. Anyway, so that actually took most of the day. I was in and out of the house. I was doing yard work. Yes, I did have Wi-Fi, but for some reason, every time I shut down the app after a certain time, it stopped downloading shows. So it literally took till that night to download all the episodes. So that was day two. Now, day three, I went in and I checked the iOS 14.2 because that's the the newest iOS right now. It's the iOS 14.2 settings. I watched several YouTube videos and I probably didn't catch everything, but I did want to make sure that I at least had the big things covered. So I did things like I turned off the preload top hit on Siri and Chrome. That is extra data that comes through the phone all the time, slows down operations of loading web pages, specifically with searches. I went into system services and I turned off things like location-based alert. And I, I, wow, there are so many system services toggles out there. And some of them I kept on, but a lot of them I turned off and I had not uh, turned anything off, I think, on my old phone because I didn't know about this setting. So that's something that kind of freaked me out. Now, the location data, there's a bunch that I turned off previously that had transferred to my new phone. But one thing that I didn't look into with the new iOS 14.0 is they have precision locations, which is good for things like drone flying. Like if you use your phone as an app for flying drones, you want it to be precise in your location because you want that drone coming back to you. But if you're in stores like Target or Walmart, you don't want them to know where you are in the store the whole time. That's very creepy, but that is a setting that is on the phone. So I turned that one off. And there was also significant locations like uh, places that you are quite a bit. I turned that off in there. There's So there's different settings. It's up to you whether you want to turn it on or off, but I looked into that. Another big one that I turned off was background app refresh. So there was a lot of apps. You can think of it in terms of how I'll use the one that I hate the most because uh, they kicked me off, which is Facebook. So if I had Facebook on my phone, I would want to turn that off. But it doesn't matter what social media it is. They all have background app refresh going and I just don't need my data being used throughout the day when I'm not using my phone. There's also the new exposure notification that came out in iOS 14.0. I actually left that on, even though it's not available in my state, because If I contact somebody and I eventually have access to an app that I can do the exposure notification, I would want that. I've done enough research into it to know it's not an infringement of my personal data, so I'm fine with that. So I left that on. I turned off. There was three different things here. Product improvement, analytics and improvement, and and, uh, research censure and usage. They're all the same to me. So I turn all of them off. I, I don't need that data going back and forth. There was also personalized advertisements. I know some people actually enjoy that because they, if they're going to be advertised to, they want personalized advertisements. My thing is, if you give them information, you might be the target of an ad campaign that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I turn that off. Uh, also, uh, prevent cross-site tracking. And then another thing that I turned on was to forward my text messages to my old iPhone 8 Plus and my iPad Mini 4, so there should be interoperability between those. I still have my iPhone 8 Plus. I've used it a little bit. Like, if I'm charging my phone and I still want that hand phone capability, if I'm at home, I can use my iPhone 8 Plus or I can use my iPhone 8 Plus for video now, too. 
So there's a lot of things that I can do with that. Okay, another thing that I did days two through four is I played with the camera. <gasps> oh my gosh, there is so many different settings. So Stephen, you're impressed by that? I am because I'm looking forward to the high quality Hollywood productions that you've taken uh, in the last couple of days because that's why you bought the phone because that's how they marketed it. I've already shared a few with you and let's go through them. So <laughs> I, I, I went through some different options. To be honest with you, I'm no expert whatsoever. There's there. It's foreign to me, the options, because remember, I'm coming from an iPhone 8 plus. It's not like I'm coming from an iPhone 11, which might have the same options with the three different cameras or an iPhone XS. Even I'm coming from an iPhone 8. It's three years removed. So there's some newer options that are included in here. So I took some slow-mo video which I was disappointed it was only 1080. I should have known that from the specs anyway. It would be so much better if it was slow-mo with 4K. But there was a windstorm that hit me yesterday. The power went off three times. It was a really sporty day. And I took some slow-mo video of the trees. It was just like a 30-second clip. I shared the clip with Steve. I actually shared the clip with everybody in our Discord, which you can find at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And you could see the actual 30-second clip, and then you could see the slow-mo three minute clip and you can see the leaves slowly blown across there, the trees slowly waving back and forth. It was pretty cool, but it was 1080. So if I show it on my big 4k TV, it's all fuzzy. So I'm like, eh, I thought you had this on your old phone. It is the slow-mo video is on okay. the slow phone. I was just, I had never really played with it. So I, anyway, I was playing with that. I did play with the nighttime mode. I took some pictures over the weekend of me grilling steak in the dark and I sent it off to the boys and they were all hungry for steak after I sent a couple well, of porterhouses or, and some strip steak. So yeah. Stephen, what would you prefer there? The strip or the porterhouse? Uh, well, I actually was about to open up the package that you sent me. It's still good, right? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. there was... <laughs> There was no dry ice in there. Yeah. <laughs> I also tonight took some pictures because it was cloudy since I got the phone. But tonight I went out before we recorded the episode. I took some pictures of Saturn and Jupiter with the great convergence that's going on right now and Mars. And I was pretty impressed just first time out of the box of being able to see the planets in the sky and still see the houses underneath them. It was amazing the contrast that the camera was able to give. And I can't wait to get more in depth on that. This is one of the things that I love that I'll just say Google Google first did that other people ripped off. And I think that it's genius that the companies have started to do this because night shots are such a problem and have been for such a long time. And they've all like all the different companies um, have created different apps for it. Like I think Samsung even has their own version of it. It's not the actual baked in Android version. And I, I think that it's great because they turn out wonderful, like the pictures you sent us earlier today. Like, I think that it just night and day difference for usability of a phone at, at night, night and day. Huh? See, yeah, I am looking forward to taking some night shots and I didn't take any time lapse yet. And it's available on the old phone, too. But the lenses here are just going to be so much better. And I, I can't wait to put it on a tripod and just go out there and, and take some nighttime time lapse is going to be fun for me as an amateur uh, photographer looking up at the sky there. So after the setup, after three days of use, was it worth the upgrade into that? I say, Meh. wow, SP, you just spent $1,400 on this new phone. And your answer to, is it worth it is meh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my answer. Meh. Yay. So, 
first of all, there's no home button on the thing. And that took some getting used to, to me. I had the, the phone that was the flagship phone that, that was the last to have a home button on it. And yes, there was the SX, there was the 11. This is the 12. And it was just all foreign to me. So uh, the things that I would normally do, like a screenshot or switching between active apps or even on doing the, the lock on the phone, I had to figure out how to do. The lock, though, must be really convenient for you, though, not having to push the touch ID anymore, right? Like, you know, it must be super awesome, right? Yeah, so it's Face ID. Yeah, and which is cool the because ID- they got rid of the touch ID because they said now it'll just recognize your face. So then they, they got rid of it. So super awesome. So it's like they went all in on Face ID. So it must be fantastic. Now, I have not been part of this conversation for a while because I have not had Face ID, but I know that there's been this controversy over wearing a mask and being able to open your phone. And, <gasps> and guess what? I can't. Oh, when right. I'm wearing a mask, I cannot open my phone. So if I'm like mm. the grocery store, like I was this afternoon after work, and I wanted to see what was on my list, put my phone up, and I have to now touch my phone and put my passcode in in order to open it because it doesn't recognize me without the mask. So yay. And that's not really Apple's fault, so to speak. But they do have the technology to push the power button on the side and get your fingerprint that way. And they have put it on the iPad. So why the heck they didn't put it on this phone? I don't know. I still say it. the current environment emphasizes a ridiculous decision that they made to remove uh, Touch ID. Because when they did that, we weren't in COVID and I get that. But there are a lot of people who use an iPhone day in and day out, a lot of them for work, that do have to wear masks. And they alienated all of them, making them go back to a passcode when they did it. And the COVID situation has only just heightened the awareness to this. So I, I do genuinely feel bad that you have to do that. But at least you can, those, you know, do a password, which I'm sure is one, 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 one. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to get to emphasize your point, though, in the I, I, Apple Watch, not iWatch, Apple Watch 6 event. One of the big markets they were going to was the professional medical field. And okay, all those people have to wear masks now. So all those people that have new Apple Watch 6s and got the new iPhone 12 Pro now can't open their phone at work because they're all wearing masks. Just emphasizing the point that Apple made themselves during a different announcement (laughs) this year. Uh, One thing that was annoying was the battery percent where I could have that as an option to show within the battery on the iPhone 8 plus screen is no longer capable. It's not an option, at least that I found that I can turn on. And I think part of it is because the battery is in the top right notch and there just isn't a lot of screen space up there, but there's enough resolution that they could. So I'm scratching my head over that. Anyway, I have to pull down the control panel to see how much percentage is left on my battery now. That's odd. So odd. Also, the notch is annoying. I've said it since the notch came out. I've hated it, but I needed to upgrade a phone and I knew three years ago complaining about the notch (laughs) that this would this day would happen. And it did. It happened. And yeah, the notch is annoying, but okay. Um, Also, the iPhone 8 Plus was getting some eccentricities to it. It would kind of stall when I was flipping between apps. It wouldn't load all my emails correctly from time to time. So I knew it was on the way out. I knew I needed a new phone. So, okay, I got a new phone. Would a new iPhone 8 
plus have solved these issues? No, because it didn't have enough RAM, didn't have enough memory. And I just, I need, I needed a new phone. So this is it. Uh, there was one benefit to this. And that is I get a free year of Apple TV plus <gasps> worth it right there alone. What have you watched in Apple TV plus? Nothing because I don't have a, a device that uses that will allow me to put the Apple TV app on it. Uh, it's not on Xbox. I thought it was on Xbox now. I, I, well, maybe now, but <laughs> but it, it not it wasn't though. Yeah. So my bottom line in all this is it was definitely time for a new phone. But this iPhone 12 Pro Max, in my opinion, is not revolutionary enough to have to change, especially at the gosh awful price of fourteen hundred dollars. Yes, I paid for it, and yes, I'm going to love it for three years, but. I wish I could have hung on to that eight plus for another year. But was it courageous? <laughs> oh, Johnny, it was so courageous. <laughs> it was so courageous. It was great. So anyway, that was my setup and my initial reactions of the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Uh, I just didn't get that, that this is the best thing ever. And, and we talked about it before the flagship phones. It's like, eh, it's, it's not as revolutionary or even evolutionary as it once was it was just the old one was wearing out and i needed something new i think that it's very interesting that they've eliminated the s line to their phones because to me like i don't i from what i saw and from what you've told us right now does this really feel like a full new generation of phones or or would it be more like an 11s well yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in the biggest differentiation between this and the other phones, especially the pro versions is, you know, the cameras, you know, I'm, I'm on the video side of things. I'm holding up my camera from my eight plus to the, the, the camera of the 12 pro max. And that's a big difference in the lenses. I mean, the lens, one lens alone is bigger than the entire area of my lenses on the eight plus. So this is the the lens, the camera on the 12 pro max is probably the biggest differentiation, which if you're a socialite, if you're a media influencer or whatever, this this, or if you're a professional filmographer, right? This, this is the phone <laughs> to use. Uh, is it the phone for a hobby podcaster or a casual user? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, the money that I uh, overspent on this phone, I could have probably spent on a nice mirrorless camera. It's a really good point you bring up, and I know we got to wrap up here pretty quick, but I, I think that that's a really interesting point when you look at the reviews, because back in the day, it was like, let's look to see who's the leader right now. Is it Samsung? Is it Google with their cameras or is it Apple? And it was a, a comparison. But now they've differentiated their cameras within their lines. And the fact that, you know, like Apple probably has the better camera right now on the pro max it's very expensive so now you got to look and see like what other use cases are there to bring yourself up to there so you're no longer being like well the apple the apple uh 12 camera blows everything else out of the water no the pro max camera does and i know that's not true with some of the other cameras but let's just go with it um the pro max one does but is everybody an average consumer like you really going to want to go and do that because not everybody has been planning on upgrading for several years like you. Some of them are only a year or two into their phones and so and not budgeted for it. So I think that it's an interesting thought about 
the different the differences now that are, are quite di- quite broad between the different levels of the iPhone 12. And the other thing is screen real estate, right? I need I'm old and I need a large screen to look at, which is why I went with the Pro Max is their biggest screen that they have in the iPhone lineup this year. But in doing some research and I wish I had more time to actually like go in a, a show or a store and, and showroom between the 12 Pro and the 12 Max and it, heck just the 12 and the 12 Pro Max. And I would have liked to see if I could have dealt with the screen as easily as I can with the 12 Pro Max. Because I think I can, especially with the 12 Pro in this case, that would save me a little bit of money. Uh, and the differentiation then is the camera. And the 12.5X zoom is so good. I, you know, the, the lenses on this are, are so good. And especially with the nighttime photography that I want to do, this was probably the best solution for me. But I, I just wish I didn't have to do it. I think I could have waited another year with the 8 Plus if it could have lasted another year. Unfortunately, I don't think so. I mean, this phone was great. It it got run over by a truck <laughs> and it's still working, right? Uh, it's It didn't have any faults with it then, but it just, uh, I, I couldn't give it that extra year because I've limped a phone along for that yeah. last year before. And if I'm going to get the phone anyway during the year, the best time to get it is right when it comes out. For sure. Now, before we go, uh, a few people in our chat, because we do stream this live on Monday at Geeks.Live, had some questions. Suncast asked, how do you like the color? We had uh, Kent ask, could you have plugged a drive in to copy this stuff over to uh, during the process? And then also, uh, it's not a question, but I'll go ahead and phrase it as a question. Albert basically said, how are you not a member of the cult if you can't see the Apple logo? Again, there wasn't a question. It was more of a statement, but I'll turn it into a question so we can talk about it. Well, let me handle the last one first. You know, that's interesting. I went with the uh, OtterBox commuter case because it literally saved my last phone. As I just said, it, it got run over by a truck, right? So I wanted the phone to be safe. The MagSafe cases from Apple itself, I think, would show the Apple logo and just uh, OtterBox decided not to do it, this case version. So yeah. I might actually go for the MagSafe solution eventually because it is MagSafe and it might link up to chargers a little bit easier in the future or make sure it's charging versus not because if it's just off slightly, it won't charge that sort of thing. So I I lost that going with this case, but I wasn't sure that the MagSafe cases were going to protect it as well as the OtterBox. So that's why I chose the OtterBox case without MagSafe, but I, w- I wish it did have MagSafe in it. And as far as the Apple logo, every other case that I had have shown the Apple logo. So yeah, I, I guess I lose that, but <laughs> I'm not an Apple fanboy. I just, I'm forced to use it because of my sister. He's not, so an, that, Apple, he's not an Apple fanboy. He's a fan of Apple. There's a difference. Whatever. I'm, I'm just going to go right over that. So he asked, uh, Suncast asked what color I did. I went with the Pacific blue, which is also why I got the blue case. Uh, from the front, you can't see any of the color, but from the back, you can see the color through the lenses. That's the actual uh, color of the phone. I like it. I think it's beautiful. It is. And if I give this to another family member, it's ubiquitous enough that a boy or a girl could use it. So if my son ends up with this phone, if my daughter ends up with this phone and I get a new phone, I, you know, it, it can go either way, but I'm not using a gold phone and the girls aren't using a black phone. So it, it was a nice, 
thing. I wish I could have gotten the Hunter Green from the 11, but they got mm. rid of that and they kept it with the 11 and they went with the Pacific Blue. So, oh, oh well. And the last question, I can't remember About what it was. transferring, could you have transferred using a USB drive or something like that? I could have uploaded. Uh, matter of fact, I do. I, I, I uh, back up my phone to my laptop and that's how I did it. But I wanted to try out the near field transfer and I should have known that it was just going to take forever. And I've, I've done that backup uh, reset from the computer before, and I've had that stop before. So I've had that problem as well as now the near field thing. But eventually it worked, so I've got everything. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on there. That's fantastic. I'm really happy that uh, you've got that, and I can pick your brain about all the new Apple things that are on there, and um, you can talk me out of ever buying an Apple phone in the future. Um, so thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, I think you are easy to talk out of an uh, iPhone because there's no reason for you to have one. No, seriously, that's awesome. And we look forward to seeing more of your photos and videos, especially the slow-mo one of you doing the whole Neo from the Matrix move going backwards. I'm waiting for that one. Hmm. I'll have to try that this weekend <laughs> if I don't kill myself doing it. <laughs> all right. Well, yes, Chris was away this week. If all goes well and he... He finally stops hating me. Uh, he will be back next week. We hope that you join us for next week's episode. We're going to have probably a weird schedule coming up in December. So keep your eyes on Twitter and stuff, because uh, I'm sure at some point we'll decide that we just would rather do stuff but podcast and spend holidays away from each other. We spend holidays away from each other anyway. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Uh, you can come to geeks.live. We do have live content there. Come to Discord or better, uh, go to geek.com slash Discord. One of those. And also, if you really, really, really want, tweet at the Chris Farrell and ask him why he hates me. Just go ask him. I think he needs to answer that. And I think the therapy session needs to start. So, yeah. Is there anything that you would like to plug or promote before we go? Would you like to promote that startup company called Apple? No. What I want to promote is another guineageek.com podcast, Adventures in Aurelia. Damien, who is the producer of the show and one of the game players on the show, he uh, texted me and he said on our next episode, which should be out next Monday, so a week from today, is the start of a new arc of their campaign when each Eric each character ends up with a long personal scene to reintroduce their part in the story, and it makes a great introduction for a new listener, by the way. Teasers for that episode start with each character's scene as well as a brief recap, and they can be those teasers can be found on the Adventures in Aurelia channel on the Guinea Geek Discord server, which you can find at gunageek.com slash discord. You can also find it at betterpodcasting.com slash discord too. And unfortunately, Damien just wanted to state that he doesn't know because restrictions in the state that he's in will drive them back into a short hiatus, but they will continue to remaster some episodes until they can record again. So if you want to start the entire saga of Adventures in Aurelia, Damien is remastering those very beginning episodes. A few of them are out now and they are worth it. Damien's done a great job of remastering them. Listen to a couple and I am really enjoying their playthrough of their game that they're playing. Awesome. But that is going to go ahead and wrap us up here. So for episode 354 of the official show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying SP's official review was met 
which means that his phone cost him $466 per letter. MSP, I'm gonna go and cry now. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.